This is the Marvel Sports Podcast. Offensive line issues being a problem last year. I'm really impressed with the way Carolina Hurricanes have looked. But LA is, uh, the LA Clippers are falling off and they need to figure it out. And here's your host, David Marr. All right, episode 19 of the Marvel Sports Podcast. We're almost to episode 20, so we've done this for now 19 episodes, which is fantastic, uh, alongside Andrew Spezano. I'm David Marr. We are about at the halfway point of the NHL season, and I can say on good authority that the Florida Panthers are one of the best teams in the NHL because they're at the top of the standings. So it, feels, it felt really good to wake up after last night and say we are not only first place in the division, we are first place in the NHL, so it felt really good. But on the other side of that, it's weird to wake up and see the Patriots making all these moves. They get um, Matthew Judon and Jalen Mills last uh, yesterday, and then they added Hunter Henry and Kendrick Bourne um, and Jonu Smith and Nelson Aguilar. So, Andrew, what's the what do we think about the Patriots already blowing up free agency by like just grabbing all these guys and signing them to – uh, multi-year contracts. Well, the Patriots have been very aggressive early on here in free agency. You know, um, I think Matthew Judon was a phenomenal signing. You know, I, he, he played for Baltimore last year. He's a great edge guy. The Patriots run defense struggled a little bit last year. I think that's going to help them a lot, but offensively they really struggled with Cam Newton and, the lack of weapons that he had on the wide receiver front. You know, Edelman was down for a while. All he really had was Jacoby Myers. He had a great connection with him. But they went out and signed Nelson Aguilar, who had a breakout season last year with the Raiders. You know, there was all the heat coming out of Philly. He can't catch. He had a great year last year. I think Kendrick Bourne's a great depth guy. He's a good guy to have as your third receiver behind Aguilar. And Julian Edelman, you also still have Jacoby Myers in there. But I really am fascinated that they went out and signed both Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith, two of the top tight ends on the market. You know, Johnny Smith's a really good red zone threat. He really did well with Ryan Tannehill the last two seasons. And Hunter Henry really had a good year last year. He really stacked up on receptions. And, you know, I'm really excited to see Cam Newton – if he can improve with all of these new weapons on offense, it's going to be interesting to see if the Patriots can keep up with the bills though. But I think with this new offense, they can certainly make it interesting. Yeah. The Patriots, my, my criticism going into the off season was everybody's talking about how poorly Cam Newton played, but um, who was he throwing to like Demir bird, mad Jacoby Myers. Okay. Uh, Edelman got hurt. And who else was he throwing it to? He had to – the Patriots' offense was basically run, 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 and just, you know, wear you down. And they couldn't – they were just a one-dimensional team. So, um, to see Bill Belichick go out and get Henry and Smith and Aguilar and um, Kendrick Bourne, who I think is a huge signing for the Patriots, that gives the opportunity to see, okay, Cam Newton wasn't great because he had no one to throw to. Can he be good if he's got these guys to throw to? And you were mentioning – um, Matthew Judon, I think that's a terrific pickup for the Patriots, knowing that he's going to join um, Dante Hightower in the middle linebacking spot. Jalen Mills is a good cornerback. Um, maybe, you know, learn from the best, learn from McCourt, the McCourty brothers and Gilmore. Um, so I, I think the Patriots, it, it feels like an all or nothing kind of situation for the Patriots, because it seems like if they want all these moves, um, they are playing to win this year. Like they are going all in on this year and they want to win right now. And one theory is that it could be because Brady won it last year with a new team. So Belichick is in some people's minds trying to build a team that says, all right, let's go win the Super Bowl right now and see what we can do. You know, but that's, that's from my perspective. So NFL free agency is off to already a thrilling start and there's still um, a long way to go. So let's keep up with that. But most importantly, we've been waiting for this since the end of last year and We are two weeks away from it. It is the start of baseball season and MLB spring training is 
almost over. So we're going to take a deep dive at divisions and who we think is going to win each division and then give our two early World Series predictions. Um, so let's start in where Andrew and I are from in our AL East divisions. Um, and Andrew, you can start. Who could win the AL East? And I'm going to go with one that's off the top of your head and say the Yankees. Oh, for sure. I think the Yankees are <laughs> far and away the best team in the American League East. They added to the pitching staff, picking up Corey Kluber and Jameson Tyone. Both have looked really healthy so far through spring training, which is a great sign. They also added Darren O'Day to the bullpen and Justin Wilson. They've looked good. And then offensively, they brought back DJ LeMahieu and Brett Gardner, who have also looked great this spring. You know, I think the Yankees have one of the best lineups in baseball. And John Carlos Stanton has looked good. Gary Sanchez and Glaber Torres, who both struggled last year, have looked really good so far through spring training. I think if the Yankees can stay healthy, they can definitely win 100-plus games and easily run away with the division. But one other team that I do want to highlight in this division is the Toronto Blue Jays. They went out and got George Springer. They brought back Robbie Ray to shore up the pitching rotation a little bit, and they have a lot of young guys coming up. I think they're going to be the second-best team in this division as the Tampa Bay Rays, who made the World Series last year, traded away Blake Snell, and they lost Charlie Morton, so their pitching rotation is a little weaker. I think that the Yankees are definitely the favorite, though, to win the AL East. Yeah, I was going to throw Toronto out there as a watch-out team. I think that they've got a lot of talent. Um, they've added a lot of uh, offense, and Vladdy Guerrero is a, a beast, and I'm so excited what he's going to do in year two with the with the Blue Jays. I would probably throw in Tampa, but I know that their starting pitching will not be the same, um, and I don't know how well they're going to transition from um, loser of the World Series to to this year being um, you know being overlooked by the Yankees. I was going to say the Red Sox, but I don't I don't think that they're there yet. They've added some pieces, and I think that their starting rotation still isn't great, and I'm not sure about their bullpen. So I would probably say the Yankees would win as well. And if they can just stay healthy, because that's been their caveat the last couple seasons, they look good, and then injuries pile up, and then they stumble, and then they get eliminated in the first few rounds. So um, I'm a believer. I believe the Yankees, um, but I'd also throw – Toronto could be a playoff team. Um but let's take a look at the AL Central, and I'm just going to be quick with this, and I'm going to say Minnesota. I just don't think um, – you know, I'm not sure about Kansas City. Uh, I think Cleveland lost too much, um, especially in their pitching staff, giving Kluber to the Yankees. Um, I'm also not sure about – I think the, the Tigers will still be bad. Um, I'm just – I'm not sold on the Central. If I had to pick one, I would just go with one that's off the top of my head and say the Twins would win the division. I'm going to go with the Chicago White Sox. Um, okay. I think they had a fantastic offseason. They picked up Liam Hendricks to finally add a great closer to that bullpen. I think their offense has the potential to be very good. You know, they got Tim Anderson, MVP Jose Abreu, Luis Rob- Robert is going to be hitting, hitting his second year. Eloy Jimenez is a solid bat. They got Grandal at catcher. And their pitching staff, they got Lucas Giolito, who really broke out last year. Dallas Keuchel was phenomenal for them as well. They picked him up in free agency from Houston last year. And they got Michael Kopech, who's one of the top prospects in the game, healthy back in the rotation. They also picked up Lance Lynn from the Texas Rangers, who had a breakout year last year. I think think it's going to come down to the White Sox and the Twins, but I like the White Sox roster more right now. I, I totally forgot about them. I think they can make a serious run. It's just how they're going to handle um, expectations because a lot of people think that they could be the top team in the Central, as you mentioned. Um, so expectations could be high in Chicago uh, for the White Sox. Um, I, I, I do like the White Sox. You know, I'm not I'm not a big believer in um, them making a deep playoff run, but the Central is not a great division, so it'd be the White Sox and the Twins, in my opinion, for competing in the Central. Um, so the AL West, I think it's probably the most confusing division. I'm, I'm literally stuck on who I think is going to win this division. I said Angels. Yeah. Um, I said Angels the other night, and then I was like, well, maybe it's the A's, and then maybe it's the Rangers. Um, I'm just going to go with my with my steadfast pick, and that's, I'm going to say if not now, when for the Angels. Um, I think their 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 youth is, gr- is going to grow up. I think uh, Shohei Otani, I watched him in uh, California with the Angels. 
Um, I think he's ready to have a huge year. Um, and this is a break. And this is uh, Mike Trout with another uh, MVP style campaign. And, um, you know, the Angels are my dark horse pick for this division. If, you know, I, th- I think they've got the, the talent to win this division, but I don't know. How about you? You know, the team I'm really rooting for to win that division is the Angels. You know, I really like some of the moves they've made this offseason. They brought in Jose Quintana and Alex Cobb, I believe, to shore up the rotation. But on right now, I really like this Oakland A's roster. They went out and got Elvis Andrews from Texas. He's a very solid shortstop. They also shored up the bullpen to replace Liam Hendricks with Trevor Rosenthal, who's a flamethrower. And they also have some really young guys coming up and the pitching staff, Jesus Lazardo is phenomenal. They also have Frankie Montas, who's solid. And then their, their lineup's really solid. They have Matt Chapman, who's one of the best third basemen in the game, especially defensively, but he can hit too. Matt Olson's great offensively. He's a big-time home run threat. I also really like that they have Ramon Laureano has been a guy that's broken out the last few years. I really like the Oakland A's roster, and I think – I think right now I see them as the favorite, but I think the Angels and the Astros are going to be up there as well. Yeah, the Astros will be up there. I, I do like the A's. As I said, the Angels were my dark horse candidate, but if I had to pick one, um, it would probably be Oakland, as you mentioned. Um, so a lot of a lot of good bats on that on that offense, and their starting pitching I think is going to take a step forward. Um, I'm not really high on the Astros. I just think that. Um, much like last year, I think there's just too much um, negativity around that organization. I agree. Um, so I don't. I don't know. I feel like the Angels or the A's, one of those two, will win the division. So the NL East, I think it's going to be probably the most fun division because everybody is expecting the Mets with all their signings in the offseason to have a, a pretty stout year. Um, Philadelphia, you know, maybe, and then you have Atlanta who won it last year and had a pretty solid run. Um, so who's going to win the NL side of the East? I think the NL East is going to be the most competitive division in baseball because all five teams, you could argue, have a chance to make it to the playoffs. You know, the Marlins were an, a surprise last year. They they finished over 500, and they actually swept the Cubs in the first round on the road in the playoffs. I still think they're a year away, though, in an, over an 162-game season. I don't think they have enough offense. The Phillies really shored up their bullpen. They went out and got Archie Bradley, who's very solid. And they also were able to keep Didi Gregorius. I think if they stay healthy, they could be good. The Nationals went out and got Josh Bell and Kyle Schwarber to add to that offense. And I think they have a very underrated pitching staff, especially they have Scherzer, Corbin, and Strasburg as their front three. But I do think it's going to come down to the Mets and the Braves. And the Mets had a great offseason. James McCann, the catcher from the White Sox, he's really solid. They also got Francisco Lindor, who's probably the best shortstop in baseball. They went out and got Trevor May for the bullpen. But I right now, I'm going to give the slight edge to the Braves because they went out and got Charlie Morton to shore up their pitching rotation. And I really like their offense. I think keeping Marcelo Zuna was huge. I think he was an MVP front runner last year. I think Ronald Acuna is going to have a big year. And the Braves just been more consistent over the years than the Mets. And I just want to see how this new Mets team does. I'm not ready to say that they're the favorite yet. I'm going to go with the Braves as of now, but I think it's going to come down to them and the Mets. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think it much like I said with the, um, with the White Sox expectations will be high. Same thing for the Mets, how they're going to handle their, their first uh, um, couple series is going to determine if they're legitimate or not. Um, I would just throw in the Braves because of um, Ronald Acuna um, and the way that he played last year, um, having a great season. Freddie Freeman's a good vet. Ronald um, Ozuna's a good vet. Um, I, I just think that they they right now would be the pick because of their experience and the, the veteran leadership they have on that team. Washington could be a dark horse with, with the starting pitchers that you just mentioned. Juan Soto, um, too. Yeah, uh, he, he is a phenomenal player. Um, so I, w- I would watch out for that. Everybody, you know, one thing about the Nationals, I feel like everybody sleeps on them and then they catch you at the right time. And all of a sudden, um, much like I think, what was it 2019? They went all the way to the, and won the World Series over Houston. Yeah, after um, a terrible start to the year. Yeah, yeah so, they're, so they could they could catch you if, if you're not paying attention. So NL East is going to be probably the most fun division in baseball. Um, the NL Central is going to be interesting, I feel. 
feel like the Cubs, um, as someone who's a Midwestern baseball fan um, and went to really feel that a lot of, not a lot of high expectations for the Cubs based off what they did in the off season. Um, so I don't know if, I'm not sure about St. Louis, Cincinnati could be um, a solid team. And then you have the Brewers, of course, with the, um, all their starters, um, especially on offense. Um, but who's going to win the NL Central? I'm going to go with the St. Louis Cardinals. They went out mm-hmm. and got Nolan Arenado, and they have a really elite middle of the order with Goldschmidt, Arenado. Dylan Carlson's a young kid that's coming up. I think he's going to have a big year. You saw him a little bit last year. Then pitching, they have Jack Flaherty. They were able to retain Adam Wainwright, who's been a great vet for them. They kept Yadier Molina for catching. I really like this Cardinals roster, and I think they're actually going to give – I think they could go pretty far in the playoffs with that lineup. And another team, you know, I'm a little nervous about the Cubs because they traded away Hugh Darvish, who was their best pitcher. They have a very one-dimensional pitching rotation. They have a lot of guys who don't throw very hard but are more control specialists, guys like Kyle Hendricks, Alec Mills. Um, I, I think it's I think this is the Cardinals' division to win, and I think the Reds losing Trevor Bauer is really going to hurt. And I think the Pirates are just going to be terrible. And the Brewers, I just don't trust their pitching enough. I love Christian Yelich, but I, I think this is the Cardinals' division to win. I was going to throw out the Brewers because of Christian Yelich, but I think you're right. Starting pitching and their, and their bullpen in general has been a, a concern for the Brewers for the last few years. Um, and the Reds, you know, offensively could be solid, but – um, I'm not sure about their pitching. Um, so, yeah, I would say the Cardinals as well. Paul Goldschmidt's going to be – if he stays healthy, um, I, I expect him to have a huge year. So, And then NL, NL West, I'm just going to throw it out there and just say the Dodgers will probably repeat. I, I'm not really expecting anybody else to give to compete with the Dodgers in the division. Um, feel free to, you know, speak your mind if you have to about saying that the Dodgers won't do it. The dark horse candidate – there's two dark horse candidates I could see stripping the Dodgers from there repeat division title. And that would be um, San Diego and, and probably Arizona. You know, Arizona had a getting Madison Baumgartner is going to be huge for the Diamondbacks. Um, and I, I think that their offense could be a, a little bit better. Um, but San Diego with um, Fernando Tatis, is that who it is uh, getting yes. paid all that money? Um, I, I would, I wouldn't be shocked if he, if he goes off this year and the way the Padres pitcher, pitching staff is, I, I would expect the Padres and the Dodgers to compete for the NL West, but I I agree with you. I do think the Dodgers adding Trevor Bauer, they're gonna win the division. But I do really want to talk about the San Diego Padres and the offseason that they had. They brought in Hugh Darvish, Blake Snell, and Joe Musgrove to shore up that rotation. They brought in Mark Melanson to to help shore up the bullpen. They also have Denelson Lamette, who broke out last year, and Chris Paddock in that rotation. And they even have Mike Clevenger, who's going to be out because he had elbow surgery. But he's going to be a big ad either later this year going into next year. But their offense, Fernando Tatis, I think is the most exciting player in baseball right now. The other day in a spring training game, he scored from third base on a sack fly on a pop-up to the shortstop. You know, this guy plays the game with so much energy. He's so much fun to watch at shortstop. Manny Machado had a great year last year. He had over 300 with 20 bombs over – or 15 or 20 bombs over a 20 or over a 60-game season. He's really starting to play for, for what his contract is. Eric Hosmer improved last year. They had rookie last year, Jake Cronenworth. He's a good hitter. I really like this Padres team. I think the Dodgers-Padres rivalry is going to be the most exciting in baseball, especially after that, after that playoff series they had last year where tensions were pretty high. Yeah, it's going to be huge for sure. I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing that battle between the Padres and the Dodgers um, take full center stage, um, to put it plainly. Um, that's going to be a, a, quite a couple of good series between those two uh, West teams. All right, before we uh, wrap up baseball, give me a, a pre a too early World Series prediction uh, before we move on here. Might be a little biased, but I'm going to go with the New York Yankees over the Los Angeles Dodgers in seven games. Okay. Um, 
I'm going to go a little bit off script here and I'm going to say the Yankees will win and they will take out the New York Mets in the, in the world series. Ooh, I, I'm gonna, I would love that. I'll go, I'll go off script a little bit. Um, I, I'm a, I'll be a Mets believer until, uh, un, until they start falling apart. So until then I'll believe and say they'll go all the way to the world series and play against the Yankees. And, uh, but I would still say the Yankees would win. I would say the Yankees and probably six, um, Repeat but that'd be a, the 2000 subway series. Yeah, that would be awesome. All right, so hockey time. So we had a, a couple of games on. I think we both had our teams on last night. Um, the Rangers, unfortunately, fell. At, um, or no, that was the other night. Uh, the Panthers won 6-3. The Panthers are now – they've won four in a row, um, and they've won six of their last seven. Their only loss was at Carolina, and they are now one of the two best teams in the NHL. Points-wise, um, the only reason that they have the head-to-head win over the Islanders is because they've lost less games – than the Islanders. Um, so what has been the key for the Panthers, not only being able to come back from these ridiculous deficits that they find themselves in, um, but what has been the key to being the, one of the best teams in the NHL up to this point? They're getting offense all, all around their roster. You know, they put up six goals last night against the Chicago Blackhawks and they've beaten them two straight. I think I think I saw Verhage scored again last night. He's been great for them. Patrick Hornquist has been a great addition. Barkov and Huberto, that line's just been cooking. Defensively, Aaron Ekblad's having a great year. I think I saw Forsling scored last night, too. He's, yeah, he's he not is. bad. He's a solid player on defense. And they've been getting better play out of their goaltending, especially Sergei Bobrovsky. He's really improved throughout the year. Like I said, he, I told you that he's, he's a good goalie earlier in the year. He's going to figure it out. He's starting to look a little better. And they actually – they lead the Central in goals. They have 99 goals. And I've just been – I've been really impressed with them. And as a Panthers fan for you, it must be nice sitting at the top of the league right now. It is. It, it's it's fun to look up and see the Panthers being in that in that top spot, not only in the division but in the, in the NHL because I don't think we've had a season where the Panthers have looked this good um, at the halfway point of the season. Like almost 20 wins – and they have more than doubled the amount of losses so far this season, combined both regular season and um, extra time. But it has been in a remarkable story for the Panthers. And uh, Aaron Eckblad having a definitely a Norris Trophy-type season. Alexander Barkov putting his name in the Hart Trophy candidate candidacy. Um, Bobrovsky playing great. The young guys, what I like about this team is their young production, they're getting production, excuse me, from their younger players. Like Forsling had a goal. Marchman's been all over the ice. Um, trying to think of who else. Uh, Lamico had a couple of good games against Carolina. Um, their youth is buying into this, uh, you know, to this uh, belief that they are one of the best teams in the Central, and they're playing like it. And uh, how it's going to move going forward is going to be huge for this team. Um, I did miss. I misspoke. The Rangers did play last night. They lost a tough battle to the Flyers, uh, five to four. I was really hoping that Philadelphia would slide the game away and, uh, after they give up that goal by Rooney. And then Philly comes back and they beat the Rangers in overtime. So, Andrew, <laughs> the, you know, we all look about that, that team, the Philadelphia Flyers, but what happened to the Rangers last night? They just – they took a 4-3 lead and they blew it. That's what happened. Um, you know, they got a four-minute – a four-minute double minor towards the end of the game last night, and they gave up a power play goal that re- to tie up the game. I was so frustrated. Keith Kincaid, after a great game in Boston where the Rangers totally dominated the Bruins, mm-hmm. and I was thinking, okay, this is it. Panarin's back. They played great. We're going to go on a little run here and get back in this thing. We take a 4-3 lead against Philly. I'm like, here we go. This is going to be another big win. And boom, tie game. We go to overtime. Keith Kincaid comes out to play a puck that he just should have let go, let Panarin come back because he had he had Voracek beat. Kincaid comes out and tries to play the puck, blings it. Panarin can't handle it. Voracek comes in for the breakaway while Kincaid's skating back to the net, and he absolutely undresses Kincaid to end it in overtime. I mean, I guess as a fan, I'm happy we got a point out of the game since we were down two nothing really early on, but just a frustrating loss for the Rangers who are actually. And they were missing their best defensive player in Adam Fox last night, who's on the COVID list, as well as Buchnevich, who's been very good for them, and Di Giuseppe, who's been great as a bottom six forward. But 
just a frustrating loss. And yeah, Panarin did have three points. I and the Rangers now have a must-win game tomorrow night, back in the Garden against Philly for Game Two. That's right. You'll be down here watching the game with me and on the projector, so that'll be fun. Uh, you know, I do think the Rangers are getting better. They but they find themselves in these ri- ridiculous games that they just they can't find a way to win a hockey game. It feels like because you go, you have the lead, and then fly. You know, Philadelphia is tearing themselves apart. They were up to nothing. Now all of a sudden they're down four three in the third period, and then they take a stupid penalty, and it just comes back to bite them. So it's a, it's a frustrating loss for the Rangers, but I, I do believe that they're getting better. They they just have to figure out a way to finish the game and just not commit anything stupid. Um, but I, I do believe that they're on the right track. And and as we bring up the East, you know, Philadelphia is falling apart. The Bruins are right behind them. And you met, you brought up the game against the Rangers that I was going to bring up next. The Bruins have really struggled at the halfway point. They have lost four of their last five. And I don't know who who's to blame for this, but, you know, this is a must-win tonight for the Bruins in Pittsburgh because after that 4-1 collapse last night um, – I don't know who I don't know who's going to fall apart and miss the playoffs. So you could put the Bruins or the Flyers on that list. Who do you think, based off what you've seen, is the team that could potentially fall apart out of the East and completely miss the playoffs? Of those two teams last week, I would have said Pittsburgh, but Pittsburgh's on fire right now. I think they're going to end up getting one of those spots. I think it's going to be Philadelphia. I, I'm still not sold on their on their team. I I think the Bruins are just going through a rough patch, but I still love that offense. I think once Tuka Rask comes back, they're going to be fine. You know, they've been. I think Halak's been playing a lot over the last few games. I think Rask has been hurt, but Carter Hart has been way too inconsistent this year, and they're not getting consistent performances out of their offensive players either. I think of of Boston and Philly. I think Philly would be the team to fall off. I would say Philadelphia, but I'm not. I'm really concerned about the Bruins because. I felt good about them after that. They beat Washington 5-1. I'm like, okay, they're back. Everything's good. They're playing the Devils, and the Devils are completely bad. And they don't even score. And they give up a goal, and, and they lose one nothing. Then they lose against the Islanders. Then they shut out the Rangers, and I'm like, all right, we're back to normal. Everything's good. Then they lose again, and then they lose last night in a game that I was really thinking that they could win. There is something wrong, and it may be Halak. It may be the fact that their defense is just not what it is anymore, which is what I thought going into the season – the good news is they do, to, they do get to play Buffalo about three times uh, later this month. So hopefully that will set the Bruins back on track, but they are not looking like one of the best teams in the East right now. Um, they're in fourth place, a point ahead of Philadelphia, uh, six points ahead of the Rangers. And I would say this, if the Bruins fall apart, I would not be surprised if the Rangers decide to catch them because I think the Rangers, from what I've seen, can play well and can beat the Bruins. Um, mm-hmm. And I, and I, I think that they can beat them out. So, um, but let's go to the to the West Division and let's um, dive in a little bit here on the West. Um, the Minnesota Wild have been an interesting team. They've won four in a row, um, two wins against Vegas, um, which I think were uh, pretty impressive for Minnesota. I, I'm really liking what I'm seeing out of their young goaltender, um, whose name is slipping me right now. But they're four points behind Vegas for the best in the West Division. Uh, should we bring up the Wild as being one of the more dangerous teams in the in the West? I think we should, and I really love this kid, Kaprasov. He's played really well. He had a hat trick last week, and then he had another goal in the most recent win over Vegas, 4-3. Joel Erickson Eck also had two goals in that game. I'm really impressed with the way the Wild have looked. Um, you know, Kaprasov has 24 points. Jordan Greenway's played well. He has 19 points. Zuccarello's been great for them. And goaltending... It's been Kakanen, who's 11-4. and four. He's only allowed 2.19 goals per game. He also has a shutout and a 922 save percentage. He's really impressed me. And I do think that team should be on lookout for the Wild, who also have a great defense. Yeah, I'm, I love the Minnesota Wild. And I, I'm not sure if they're – you know, they beat Vegas at home. So until they could beat them there, I'm not sold on this team yet. But they are playing like a – um, like a solid team. And I think that, um, you know, their veteran leadership as Parise starting to pick it up. Um, you know, Cam Talbot's been good at the backup spot. He allowed one goal yesterday against uh, Arizona. Uh, Kevin Fiala uh, acquired from uh, Nashville has had a good, couple of good games. Um, 
I think that this defense for Minnesota could be um, something to look out for down the road. And I think that the way that they've been playing along with uh, Kaprasov, um, who's been outstanding, he could be in the running for uh, the Calder Trophy with the way he's been playing. And you bring up Kakin, and he's had a phenomenal season. And he played so well against Vegas the other night, um, despite Dylan Coughlin getting a hat trick on him, especially with two goals in the third period. Um, but, you know, Minnesota is a team that is still, you know, I believe I'm a believer in the wild. I think that they could be in the playoffs. Um, they're seven points ahead of Los Angeles and that's for, um, for uh, first team out of the playoffs in the West. So that is a, it's a good spot for the wild to be at, um, at number two in the West division. So um, but let's quickly wrap it up here before we go to the speed round with the North, um, the Toronto Maple Leafs, you know, I'm, I'm not, a, I don't know what's going on with them. They've lost two in a row um, and they've lost six of their last, uh, five of their last six games. Um, what's been the problem? What's been the problem for the Maple Leafs on this uh, recent slide where they have really been struggling? You know, they just haven't been scoring goals at the level we're used to seeing them score goals in. Um, it, they lost to Ottawa four to three. And by the way, I want to bring up Ottawa. This kid, Tim Stutzel, has been phenomenal. I think yes, he, he has. He might be the favorite right now for to be the best rookie right now. I think, especially with. Lafreniere's slow start for the Rangers. Um, then they also – they only scored two goals against Winnipeg and gave up five, so they struggled defensively there. Another loss to Winnipeg, only three goals. Two goals against the Canucks. One goal against the Canucks. You know, they just – their offense is in a little bit of a slide right now, and I think they just got to get that going again. And I think I think they have the talent to do it. You know, they're just going through a rough stretch right now. Well, it's interesting to see how they pick it up because up next is Calgary, and the, and the Flames are in a desperate situation with being two points behind the Montreal uh, for that Hockey. fourth spot. Yeah, Johnny Gaudreau, Boston College kid, by the way. So, um, you know, the Leafs need to pick it up. I mean, they're, you know, 40 points is good, but when you've lost five of your last six games um, and that one win coming in overtime against the Jets, you know, something's amiss. And uh, the Leafs have to figure it out. They do get a nice uh, five days off before their next game. So that will give them time to figure themselves out and um, get back on track. But, you know, four points ahead of Winnipeg, four points ahead of Edmonton. And those teams are playing some good hockey. I like what the Oilers are doing um, with Connor McDavid having another fantastic line. season. Yep. So uh, be on the lookout for Toronto and uh, see if this slide either continues or they figure out a way to shut it down. Uh, against Calgary next week. All right, so let's go to the speed round real quick. Um, Columbus Blue Jackets are still um, are four points behind of Chicago. Um, and I was hearing John Torrell should be fired um, tweets on Twitter a couple of nights ago. Should the Jackets decide to finally give uh, Coach Torts the boot? I'm not opposed to that. Um, he's been there a while, and they haven't won anything. And they have some pretty good talent on that offense. I really love – I love Cam Atkinson. He's actually – he lives in my grandma's on my grandma's mm -hmm. street. I've met him a few times. He's really nice. And they picked up Patrick Line. Then defensively, they have Zach Lorensky, who's a beast. You know, I think moving on from him wouldn't be the worst idea. What kind of gave way those comments or for Coach Torrell to be fired was the fact that they took Patrick Line out of the game in the third period against the Panthers, and it ended up being the reason one of the reasons why they lost um, because the Pan you know Line gets that power play goal. And then he gets benched for the rest of the period. Next thing you know, the Panthers have tied it and they go to overtime and win. And Lina didn't even play the whole game. So that is a concerning sign for me is that Torella is not doing everything in his power to get this team um, as to being a contender in the Central. And we were and I was thinking at the beginning of the season, like the Jackets could be a, a good team and a decent team if they could just if they could keep it together. And you know, they've been they've just been too inconsistent. They've won games that they should be winning, and then they've lost the games that they need to be winning. Um, but you know, uh, big stretch coming up. You got four games against Carolina and then, uh, after a two game stretch at Detroit, it's a uh, trip down to Florida for two against Tampa and two against the Panthers on uh, April 3rd and 4th. So that'll be a fascinating series for Very Columbus telling. because they need, yeah. So, um, the Island, uh, so who would you put as the best team in the East with the Islanders and Capitals playing tonight? Uh, who could be the best team in the East? I think right now it's the Islanders. They're playing the best hockey. They've won nine straight games, and in that, and the one game they lost, it was in overtime. 
you know, I really like the way that they've been playing, especially defensively. They have such a great system. Matthew Barzal's having a great year with 24 points. Eberle's been a good line mate. Anders Lee's looked pretty good. Nick Letty's been great on defense. JG Pajot's been pretty – he's been a great pickup from Ottawa. They got him last year, I believe. And then they, they've got a couple of young guys. I know they called up Wallstrom, who's been solid. And as for their goaltending, Semyon Varlamov's having a phenomenal year. He's only averaging 2.03 goals allowed per game. It's 13, 4, and 3. 929 save percentage with three shutouts. I'm really impressed with not only the way the Islanders are playing defensively, but with how he's looked in that. I think they're playing the best hockey right now in the East. Wanner's well, Lee got hurt, so it'll be interesting to see how the Islanders hold up without him. But I'm going to throw Washington in there. The Caps have been on fire. They have won, I believe, nine of their last ten games. And uh, they've been scoring and scoring. The, def- the defense is a problem because they've been winning a lot of shootouts, mm-hmm. um, especially against Philadelphia. They've won two games by the score of combined score of 10-7, to 7, uh, 5-3 game one, 5-4 game two. Um, so they're defensively challenged, but they just can score in a lot of different ways. And I think their young goaltending has been coming around. I like the way that um, Vitek Vanacek's playing. Uh, Samsonov, their younger goaltender, has been outstanding. He, uh, I believe, did he get the start against Buffalo? No, it was Vanacek. Vanacek had 23 saves last night against Buffalo. Credit again, it was Buffalo, but still, um, you know, the Caps are rolling, and it's going to be a, a great game tonight against the Islanders. Um, I believe it is in Washington, so that'd be a great game to watch. Uh, for the battle in the East Division. Uh, a couple more. Uh, how do you score against the Carolina Hurricanes? How do you beat the Carolina Hurricanes? They've won eight in a row, and uh, they've just been on an absolute tear uh, since the start of, this, um, of March. You know, recently the formula for the Hurricanes' wins have been defense. Um, you know, looking at recent games, they beat Detroit 2-1. to one, They beat Nashville 5-1. to one, Then Nashville 3-2. to two, The Panthers 4-2. to two. Then two goals allowed against the Red Wings, the Predators, the Panthers again. They've just been unbelievable defensively. And, you know, they've just been solid. And Reimer and Nett has been good. They've got this other guy. I, I'm i going to botch this name. Nevel Joker. Okay, yeah, he's been really good. He's only allowed 2.08 goals a game. Also has a shutout. You know, I'm impressed with – the way the Hurricanes have been playing defensively recently. And if they can play defense, that's scary because their offense, they have some electric players and Sebastian Ajo, Sebechnikov, Trocek has been a phenomenal pickup from Florida. Nakos is starting to step up. Niederreiter has been solid. Fogel and McGinn aren't bad either. And Jordan Stahl's having a great year. Really like the way that Carolina's playing right now. They're going to be very dangerous down the stretch. Yeah, the, when you combine that offense with the way that they've been playing defense and the way their goaltending tending has been, they're a scary team. And, um, you know, I, I, the, you know, the <laughs> one team that they've really struggled against, they have they've lost three of four against Carolina, and that one win was, I believe, uh, um, in overtime. So the Panthers, um, that's, their, that's probably their deadliest competition at this point because I know they can beat Tampa, um, but I, I, I'm scared to play against Carolina because of the way that their defense has been playing. Um, and the way that they've been able to um, combine that defense with that great offense. It'll be interesting to see if they avoid the letdown tonight against Detroit, because I feel like whenever Detroit gets a team a second time, they play a lot better. So Detroit could be uh, that spoiler. Uh, and then uh, item last time on the speed round, um, what's to fi- um, what's there to fix for the Chicago Blackhawks after uh, some wins that they needed and didn't get against Tampa and against uh, the Panthers recently? Um, you know, they just haven't been consistently playing well on offense. Only one goal against Dallas and a 6-1 loss. Then their next game, they only scored two against – or no, they beat they beat Dallas 4-2. Then they lost 4-2 to Florida and then 6-3. to You know, they just have to find some consistency in their game. You know, um, defensively, they haven't been great. Obviously, two, two of their last four games, they've allowed six goals. And they got to get their offense to step it up a little bit too. But I think with guys like Patrick Kane, DeBrincat, Kuba Leak, I think they could figure it out. Just in a just in a rough patch right now. I just think it, it's it's the time for their young guys to buy in. You know, we talked about the Panthers' young guns buying in. I don't think the Blackhawks have done that. Um, and you would expect a leader like Patrick Kane to kind of step up and 
get these guys to to get going and they just don't they just haven't and it's it's a it's a tough stretch for Chicago you know Florida was on the docket you know you get those two wins you have a chance to pull even with maybe or get close to Tampa Bay or Carolina and they lose both of them and now you know they're four points behind ahead of Columbus and the and the Jackets could pick it up at any point and their schedule is brutal they have to play Tampa next two games at Tampa and then two more against Florida at home and then they got to play Carolina coming up. So they're playing the top three teams in the East in a span of about a week and a half. And, you know, Chicago's got a problem uh, right then and there. So they got to fix that. So NHL is going to be fascinating down this road and a great game tonight between the Islanders and the Capitals uh, at seven o'clock. Should be a great game. So let's turn our attention to basketball. And we started off this conversation with uh, the Brooklyn Nets and the Knicks game last night. The Knicks were so close. I was rooting for him. And then they get called for a travel. Great defensive play by Kyrie, not going to lie. Um, and the Knicks came close to upsetting the Nets. Um, I'll start because I'll let you get into your Knicks talk in a second. The takeaway for me is uh, the Brooklyn Nets are just a good team. I just think there's too much depth. I think that they are uh, too experienced. The other side of the coin is I really thought the, uh, the Knicks played a great game. I thought that they took a step forward in this game. I think it's going to give them a lot of confidence. Um you know, they had that fourth quarter comeback. They were so close to to tying the Nets last night. It just came down to that one fate possession and uh, for them to just cough up the ball. Um, but th- that that's a step of confidence for the Knicks. I, I think that this is going to be a good team. I thought they they played great offensively. Um, you know, defense was great. Uh, they committed 15 turnovers, which I think is good for this defense. Um, but the problem is they shot 40% from the field. And you're not going to shoot – you can't win – against the Brooklyn Nets if you shoot 40% from the field. So that's something to fix. But to win a tight game or to lose a tight game against a, against a good Nets team is going to give this team a, a lot of confidence. So that's my big takeaway. Andrew, how about you? Well, I'll start with what impressed me so much about the Knicks. And one thing was how, how great they looked in the second half. They outscored Brooklyn by eight points in the second half last night. But they only held them to 21 points in the fourth quarter. And they had some big defensive plays, especially in the last ten minutes or the last two minutes. They were able to force a jump ball. Then they were actually able to force another one. Um, they really were solid defensively. They were actually, I thought Frank Nilakina made a couple of great defensive plays that they ended up calling fouls on them for. I was a little frustrated with that. And by the way, let's get to the the tipping point for me last night was the way the game was refed. Um, <laughs> there was one play where I think James Harden took six or seven steps on a similar – they called that he lost possession of the ball when the Nick defender hit it out of his hands, even though it looked exactly the same as when Kyrie tipped it out of Randall's hands, if not, if not even worse, and they didn't call anything on Harden. Then the same thing happens with Randall later on, and, man, was Randall heated. You know, he looked like he wanted to – go beat up the ref after the, he was angry. The Knicks were struggling. The whole team had to hold him back because he was marching towards center court. And then he ended up kicking a chair, walking back to the locker room. You know, I really – and, you know, Julius Randle, by the way, last night, 33-12-6, and 50% from three. He was phenomenal. And, you know, he started off the game slow, but he really bounced back and dominated in the second half, especially defensively. And Reggie Bullock hit five threes. He's been playing much better recently. R.J. Barrett's averaging 25 points, and he's shooting over 50% from the field and 40% from three over his last 10 games. He's been really solid. And Emmanuel quickly, he got the start last night. He was solid with 21 points. And Alec Burks has been solid off the bench. I'm really impressed with the way the Knicks are playing. I don't think it's their year, but I think they're finally building a culture, and I wouldn't be surprised if they continue to improve and maybe over the next few years we see them finally become one of those top teams that us Knicks fans have been waiting for for years. Well, it always comes back to the rest when you're always talking about a close NBA uh, basketball game. So, And I'm not going to disagree with you on that because I, <clears throat> uh, Damian Lillard, I think, uh, tweeted something and said, like, and why do they give the Nets the ball? Um, so, yeah. But the schedule doesn't get any easier for the Knicks because they play Philadelphia tonight at seven at eight o'clock uh, yeah. from Philadelphia and the and the Sixers, um, you know Joel Embiid is down, potential MVP candidate at risk. Um, 
And but I I followed up and watched that game the other night against uh, who were they playing? They were playing against the uh, I'm trying to find it here. They were playing against the Spurs, and the Spurs, Spurs. were a good team. And the, and the yeah, the Sixers won by 35 points. So I, I don't know. I, I'm not after that game. I'm I'm not even concerned about the six, uh, Sixers without Joel Embiid because you still have Ben Simmons who came back and played a phenomenal game. But um, could it could this Embiid injury hurt the Sixers down the road? if someone else goes down, potentially like, you know, Ben Simmons or one of their other good stars on uh, offense. I think the Embiid injury only hurts the Sixers down the road against teams like the Brooklyn Nets and the Milwaukee Bucks, but they still have a lot of depth. Tobias Harris is having a great year. He had 23, nine and seven in that win against the Spurs. He really stepped up. Seth Curry has been a very underrated pickup as well. He is 21 point. He, he had 21 points in that game and, I think Shake Milton off the bench has been great for them this year. They've got a lot of depth. Um, they actually had a couple of guys in double figures off the bench in that game. Danny Green also had 16. And Ben Simmons is still a great player. You know, I think that the Sixers have enough depth. And I do think Embiid will be coming back. I saw in a couple weeks, I think. Mm-hmm. So I think I think if they could just play a little above 500 ball from now till then, they still have a good shot. Uh, getting a top two seed in the East. I do think Brooklyn's the best team in the East, but I think yeah. Philly's going to be up there. Yeah, I do too. And like I said, I, I'm not concerned at all about Philadelphia because of the way they played um, last night or two nights ago, was it? Um, the way that they just completely dismantled the Spurs um, that other night without Embiid in the lineup. Um, because I thought, you know, Embiid is down, Spurs coming in, good team, Sixers might get caught off guard, and Sixers just went to work and just completely overran them, um, especially late in the game. So Philadelphia and Brooklyn is tonight at 8 o'clock. Should be a fascinating game. Um, and I think the Sixers will probably win this game by 15 points. <laughs> we'll see. I, I, I'm betting on that, you know, based on the way the Knicks played last night, I, I would be uh, I'd be shocked if this is not a, a close game. Um, I still believe in the Knicks. I still think that they could make a playoff, could make, could be in the playoffs. Um I don't know how far they're going to go. So the other big game on the, on the docket tonight is the Celtics going to play Utah at home. The Jazz lost their uh, 10th game and the Celtics got back on track. They, they did get handled by the Nets and they just blew out Houston. Um, how confident are you in the Celtics to beat the Utah Jazz tonight? You know, I don't know if they're going to beat them, but I do think that they could give them a very competitive game. You know, Utah has been great this year. They're 28 and 10. But Boston has been playing some good basketball recently. They're coming off of a pretty good win over the Rockets where they put up 134 points. Really like the way that Jason Tatum has been playing, Jalen Brown. And if they can get a good performance out of both of them and Kemba Walker, if all three of them can click, I could see I could see them beating Utah tonight. But it's going to be tough. Utah is very good, obviously. So we'll see what happens. I would be confident if the Jazz did not, <coughs> excuse me, if the Jazz did not lose the other night um, against uh, Golden State. If they did not lose that game, I would have said, oh, the Celtics could handle this. And now I'm thinking, well, you know, maybe the Celtics could keep it close, but I just, you know, the Jazz are going to put up too many points, I feel like. And they're, they're just dangerous from beyond the arc. Um, the way they're, they're first in the league in three point uh, field goal percentage, um, or excuse me, three point field goals made with um, 17 per game. So they're just a too dangerous team, and I think the Celtics are catching them at the wrong time. That'll be a great game to watch at 7.30 tonight from Boston. And uh, Celtics fans and Bruins fans get to walk to the doors of TD Garden in about two weeks. So that's awesome. So let's go to the West, and um, I'll save that question for speed round, but let's go to the L.A. Clippers. I said last week that they are really struggling, and they could fall out of that top four, um, you know, out of that top four cluster in the West. And I'm sticking with my statement. I still don't think they're that good. They've, they've lost to New Orleans by 20 points, and then they somehow follow it up and beat Dallas. So what is the, the mindset around the L.A. Clippers right now after um, a kind of a weird start to the second half of the schedule? You know what? I was, I was raving about how much I love them. I'm starting to get scared. Um, yeah. You know, Kawhi Leonard's still playing at an elite level, but Paul George is kind of starting to play inconsistent. You know, he's kind of struggled recently, and their depth has kind of been all over the place in scoring. Um, and then defensively, they haven't looked great at all. 135 points to the Pelicans. 
Um, and they also had a loss to the Wizards where they gave up 119. I'm, I'm nervous right now, and the Lakers had a pretty impressive win last night over the Warriors without AD. And so I think the Clippers might settle in as one of the as either the four or the five when all said and done with the way Utah, Phoenix, and the Lakers are playing right now. But yeah, the, yeah, the Clippers are starting to worry me a little bit. Yeah, I'm, I'm deeply concerned, and this game against Dallas is going to either prove or disprove that. I do think their schedule gets a little bit softer. They play Charlotte and Atlanta at home, two teams that are on the on the cusp of the playoff bubble in the in the East. And then two at San Antonio, and then the real stretch of their games gets tougher. Versus Philly, versus Milwaukee, um, Orlando, meh, and then versus Denver against the other side of LA, and I think Phoenix and Portland in there as well. So they've got a really tough stretch of games. If they can go 500 or, or plus in that stretch, I'll, I'll believe in them again. But until then, they're struggling, and they need to figure it out because I'm not, I don't, I'm not sold on this team just yet. Um, and you mentioned the Lakers. Uh, let's let's talk about them for a second because they lost another one of their guys um, the other night. So two injuries now for the Lakers. Their schedule's somewhat okay. They play Minnesota tonight um, at home against uh, Minnesota, and they've got a soft schedule too. But can the Lakers be okay without AD? And forget who else went down the other night, but can they be okay with now two guys out of the lineup? Um, you know, for, for the sh- short term, I think they can, you know, LeBron James is still having a phenomenal year. He had another triple double last night. Um, they also got really good play. Mo- if Montrezl Harrell can step up and do what he's done, you know, he had 27 points last night, 11 for 14 from the field. Kyle Kuzma has also played well, even though he airballed a technical free throw, but he had 17 and Taylor Horton Tucker had 18. If those three guys off the bench, can do what they did last night. I do think that they can be okay, that they'll be all right for the short term. But if it comes to the playoffs and they're missing some of their guys, like Anthony Davis, it's going to be tough to win in that type of setting. But I think right now they're starting to play better basketball. Blowout went over the Warriors on the road last night. Really impressed me, and it's really going to come down to if their depth can continue to play well. Yeah, I would agree with that. They've they've won the two in a row since the that big slide at the end of the first half of the schedule against Phoenix and Sacramento. But those two wins against Indiana, who I think is a, a decent team, and then Golden State, who just came off of beating Utah, um, that's a good sign for the Lakers. You know, two guys go out of the lineup, everybody else comes in and plays well. That has to be the level of consistency, at least for another two weeks, because they may get a um, Anthony Davis back, and that's going to really help the Lakers, and they can get back to being – their, you know, super team and back to competing with Utah and Phoenix for that top spot in the West. Uh, last topic before speed round, how are we feeling about the Milwaukee Bucks as, you know, they may not catch Brooklyn and they're probably not going to, they could potentially catch Philadelphia, but the, uh, but the Bucks have won uh, nine of their last 10 and four straight, uh, two back-to-back wins against Washington. And now uh, the big one tomorrow night against Philadelphia on the road. Are we a believer in the Bucks to potentially catch the Nets or the Sixers in the top spot in the East? I don't think they could catch the Nets. I do think that they could catch the Sixers just because the Bucs have been playing fantastic bas- basketball recently. They're getting a lot of scoring. You know, Giannis had a triple-double last night. He had 31, 15, and 10. And Chris Middleton, I think he's one of the more underrated players in the game. Brooke Lopez had 22. Drew Holiday and Devin Shinzo both had double figures. And off the bench, Bobby Portis has been really solid for them. And this guy, Forbes, only 13 minutes, he had double figures as well. You know, the only thing that scares me about the Bucks is they're not a great defensive team. But offensively, I think if they could get scoring out of the guys outside of Giannis and Middleton, I think they're a very dangerous team. And recently, they've been getting that scoring from those from those role or more role player guys or more more B player type players. And I just like the way they've been playing recently. I think they're definitely solidified as a top three seed in the East. Yeah, I, I, I do believe in the box. Giannis has had three straight triple doubles, which is extremely hard to do in the NBA right now. But, you know, since that game in Toronto where they just coughed up a, a 110 points to the, to the Raptors, they have really been dominant. They have really torn apart this NBA. The one caveat is that big loss in, uh, against Denver um, for the first half of the schedule ended, but they've been playing fantastic. And, Giannis is playing so well. Uh, Middleton's been great. 
Um, you know, I'm really liking where Milwaukee's going right now. They, if, I would say, if the playoffs started right now, I would just, I just would not want to play them at all. I think that they're a scary team. They're, I believe, they're fifth in three-point field goals uh, made, and they are first in rebounds. So they are a, a dangerous team if they if they are in a good spot in the playoffs. So uh, speed round. Do we believe the Phoenix Suns could catch the Utah Jazz for the top spot in the West? Man, I love the way the Phoenix Suns have been playing. But I I don't know if I love them as much as I love this Utah Jazz team, you know, in terms of how they play defense. You know, I don't – the Suns haven't played consistent defense this year. They have 121 to the Blazers, 122 in a loss to the Pacers. Um, but I really do love this offense. I think Chris Paul has been a big-time difference maker for this team and helping set stuff up. And he's also been scoring a little bit too. Devin Booker has continued to show that he's – a bona fide star in this league. And they've also gotten good play out of Aiton, who had 15 the other night and a win over Memphis. And Crowder's been a solid guy too. I really like this Phoenix Suns team, and I do think that they could contend for the two spot. But right now, I really don't know if they're, if I like them over Utah. I will say this Utah's been a little inconsistent. They're five and five in the last 10 games. So that is. Mm-hmm. You know, not as good as I would, you know, the Jazz, that's their first, that's their double-digit loss they took against Golden State the other night. And uh, they've lost through their last uh, four games, going back to the end of the first half of the schedule. Um, I would be concerned that Utah's not playing good right now, but, you know, plenty of time to pick it up. But at the way Phoenix is playing, I do believe that they could catch Utah for the top spot. And if they play uh, an eight seed, potentially Dallas, Golden State, Memphis, whoever gets out of the eight spot, um, it, they, it would be a very tough task for Phoenix to go down and they get that number one spot. So um, the Miami Heat are 9-1 and one in their last 10. How good do we feel about Miami as the number four team in the East? You know, we talked about it last week, I think, but ever since Jimmy Butler has come back, Miami has been really good. And they're showing it with nine wins in their last 10 games. You know, they're not really blowing – they're not putting up a whole lot of points, you know. They're not like exploding, dropping like 120, but they're they're playing really good defense. They have a good system. Um, I really like the way Jimmy Butler's looked, and Bam Adebayo's been good. Um, Duncan Robinson's a solid three point shooter. Tyler Hero, um, and Goran Dragic had 25 and a win over the Bulls last week. You know, I I think they're definitely going to be. I think they could be a top five team in the East. Well, they're a top five team in the East now. They're a half game ahead of Charlotte. Who would have said Charlotte being at the five spot to start the second half of the schedule? But they're a half game ahead of the Hornets, the Celtics. They're a full game or a game and a half ahead of the Knicks and the Hawks. So the East, as we keep mentioning, is always a tight race. And they're two games ahead of Atlanta, who's at the eight spot, and three ahead of Chicago in the nine spot. So that East is going to be tight if the Heat do get injured that would be the one thing to keep an eye on if they suffer injuries down the stretch you know jimmy butler when he's on the team is good when he's off then they're they're completely different they've been playing great they're playing a solid brand of basketball they're not blowing teams out they're not looking impressive but they're just playing good they just keep winning 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 and they all they have to do is keep riding it i'm not sure they can catch milwaukee and i don't think they'll, they're going to catch brooklyn or uh, philadelphia but um they're, they're they would be a, a good team at the number four spot um, team out of the mix in the West that you don't want to face right now. That would be anybody outside of uh, Dallas who's in the eight spot right now. Um, are we talking from from five seed down? I would say from uh, nine seed from nine seed down. The one team that you think could make a playoff picture, a, a playoff push um, at the bottom half of the West standings. You know what? I'm going to say the New Orleans Pelicans. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like the way that they've played. Zion Williamson's having a phenomenal year. I also think Lonzo Ball has improved tremendously. Um, he's shooting at a really solid clip from three-point range. Brandon Ingram's averaging almost 24 a game. And Eric Bledsoe's been solid. Josh Hart. Um, Reddick's a solid player. I like the way they've been playing. I think they can make a push. Yeah, I believe in the Pelicans. I, would, I was going to throw in Golden State because they've been playing well, but they just – they are playing too inconsistent. I would say the Pelicans just because they've just they're at this level of consistency, and if they could keep it going, um, I think they could stay 
within fighting distance of the playoffs. We're only uh, three and a half games back of Dallas, and if Dallas falls apart um, based off that game against the Clippers the other night, then uh, they've got a chance. Um, and then uh, trying to think of a good question to end on. Um, can the – let's see, who would be the – if LA fall, if the LA Clippers fall apart in the number four, who do you want to see take the number four from them? Denver, Portland, San Antonio, or Dallas? Um, I would love to see Portland. You know, yeah, <laughs> they just they just got CJ McCollum back, and I think that mm-hmm. could be really big for them, especially offensively, because Damian Lillard is having a great year, and I think, like I said, he's one of the more underappreciated stars in the game. But with them getting C.J. McCollum back, I think that could be a big boost. They've also been getting good play out of some of their lesser guys. I think Carmelo's having a solid year for them. Um, Gary Trent Jr. has been really underrated. He's averaging over 15 a game. And S. Canner's been solid. Nurkic, Covington. I think they have a chance to step up with McCollum coming back. I would have said Portland, but they lost to Minnesota the other night. So that's a, a tough thing for me to look back at and see in, as one of as them being a contender as the number four spot. I would say Denver. Uh, the Nuggets have been playing great. They've won uh, seven of their last ten, and uh, I believe five of their last six games, and it ended up with a, a 15-point win against the, uh, the Pacers last night. Um, I think the Nuggets are playing good. They're playing a, a good stretch of ball like Miami. Um, you know, the Nuggets that, you know, again, five of their last six games, one big game against Charlotte tomorrow night. Um, but they've been playing uh, good from three-point range. They're a decent team when it comes to field goal percentage. They're effective on offense. Um, I think their defense is pretty solid, and I think that they are – they're getting in position to, to potentially catch the Clippers if they start to fall apart. So uh, one last thing before we wrap up, uh, Leonard Williams just got signed to a, a, a three-year, I think, contract with the Giants. Oh yeah, um, look at that. Three years, sixty-three million dollar deal with the with the Giants. So the Giants have one of their elite pass rushers back. So we will be back next week, hopefully with a uh, special guest. He's not sure if he's gonna be able to make it. He's gonna hit me up again Friday, but he would love to jump on if he's got time next week. So hopefully we will have our guest on next week at some point. So for Andrew, I'm David. That will conclude episode 19 of Marvel Sports Pod- Podcast. We'll see you next week.